Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how scientists developed a self-repairing battery. And we'll also answer a listener question about the difference between 4G and 5G networks with a special guest, science communicator Trace Dominguez. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Last month, scientists announced that they may have achieved a major breakthrough. They've developed a self-repairing battery. This could mean that in the future, those days of having an old phone or laptop that just can't hold a decent charge anymore could be over. Before I get into how they did that, here's a quick refresher on how batteries work. All batteries contain three things, a positive electrode, a negative electrode, and an electrolyte between them. Rechargeable batteries, like the lithium-ion one in your phone or laptop, charges by sending charged particles from the positive electrode through the electrolyte and into the negative electrode. Those charged particles are called ions. And when it's time to actually use your device, the ions head in the opposite direction, this time from the negative electrode to the positive one. Okay, so why does a battery stop holding a charge? Well, let's use a lithium-ion battery as an example. The electrodes in a rechargeable battery are usually made up of a bunch of super-thin layers of some type of metal. Super-thin, as in about as thick as an atom. In a lithium-ion battery, the negative electrode is made of graphene, which is basically sheets of carbon atoms. And the positive electrode is made of lithium cobalt oxide or lithium iron phosphate. These layers are held together by a weak van der Waals force, which is the force that exists between really closely packed neutral particles. When your battery's charging, the lithium cobalt oxide in the positive electrode sends some of its own lithium ions to pass through the electrolyte and hang out between the layers of graphene and the negative electrode. That release of ions physically changes the electrode. It actually creates a little bit of extra space between the layers. Since the forces holding the material together need the atoms to be closely packed, that extra space can degrade the electrode. And after a while, it'll lead to cracks or flakes known as stacking faults. Over time, these stacking faults make it harder for the battery to store and deliver a charge. If scientists figure out a way to prevent or repair these cracks, then they could end up creating a significantly longer-lasting battery. And in a paper published in Nature last month, engineers at the University of Tokyo announced that they'd developed a way to make batteries repair these cracks on their own. Instead of lithium ions, the team used sodium, which is a promising alternative we've talked about on this podcast before. The natural degradation of the electrodes is reversible thanks to the extra sodium atom in the electrode layers. The material they used was held together by a force called columbic attraction, which is the fancy term for the attraction between particles with opposite charges. And that might not sound super impressive, but the force of columbic attraction is a lot stronger than van der Waals forces, which means the new material they made the electrode out of can do a lot more than the stuff in your run-of-the-mill electrode. Thanks to this more powerful force, once the sodium ions make their way back to the positive electrode during charging, they can return to the same structure they started in and repair any extra spaces or cracks that might have formed when the battery discharged. Cracks aren't the only things that limit rechargeable batteries, so this doesn't solve every battery problem ever. But it's still a big step toward longer-lasting batteries with more capacity. And that'll make a big difference in everything from electric cars to your smartphone. Today's episode is sponsored by Arm & Hammer, who have a new cloud control cat litter. You know what I love? My cat's calico coloring. I think she's gorgeous. And she's also a science lesson in herself. Because, Cody, did you know that almost all calico cats are female? What? 
Yeah, it's because the gene for fur color is on the X chromosome. And in order to be calico, you need to have a different color on each X chromosome. And only female cats and male cats who have an extra chromosome have two X chromosomes. So anytime you see a calico cat, you can just be like, she's so pretty. And the owner will be like, how did you know? Nice pro tip. Of course, I knew Aglet was a female Yes, because I talk about her all the time. What I don't talk about all the time is how terrible it is to clean her litter box. But every cat owner knows that pain, which is why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nasty stuff when I scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free free of heavy perfumes, and it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. We got a listener question from Aditya, who writes, 5G is the next big thing in networking. How is it different from 3G and 4G? Great question, Aditya. And perfect timing, because our friend, science communicator Trace Dominguez, recently produced a super in-depth video about this very thing on his YouTube channel, Uno Dose of Trace. We called him up to shed some light on this cellular subject. So 5G is really interesting because It's similar to 4G and 3G, but it's not the same. So it's a good question to ask because when we think of these cellular networks, we usually think of them as just this solid kind of thing, but they're constantly changing. You know, we've had all of these different Gs of cellular technologies. Uh, You know, 2G, 3G, and 4G are are all pretty well known. There actually was 1G and half G, and there are even like 2.5G and things. It's a way for the cellular industry to kind of keep track of different standards. So 3G and 4G standards were created in the year 2000, or at least around there. They have something called the International Telecommunications Union, and they created these standards um, called IMT 2000. And we've been using those for a long time. Actually, we still use uh, all those standards for our 3G and 4G wireless now. 5G is a new wireless standard that honestly hasn't even been released yet. So we only know what we've seen at, you know, Mobile World Congress and other kind of conferences and meetups where all of these people who are going to create the standards are talking about what they are doing. So what we know about 5G is that it's going to be an all wireless system where there are small cells scattered throughout cities and urban areas that will communicate very, very fast, like on the order of gigabits per second. So essentially instantaneous wireless communication. If you get further away from the small cells, you'll get slightly slower speeds. They'll be faster than 4G, um, but they'll be using different frequencies than what 3G and 4G currently use, meaning the reason that it's a distinct kind of G, a distinct network, is because it's using these new standards and different frequencies and uh, different technologies. So over the next four or five years, we're going to slowly get 5G rollout across the United States. You'll still see 4G out on your phone. If you're, say, in the middle of a rural area, you might see 4G on your phone, just like now you might see 3G on your phone if you drive away from a city in some directions. But for the most part, 5G is just this next iteration of cellular technology. Um, The small cells, the reason I bring those up is that's the real big change. That's the thing that we're going to now have to understand and wrap our heads around. 
the small cells use something called millimeter waves or mm waves. They're very uh, high energy in comparison to like 2G technology, but not high energy in comparison to like X rays and gamma rays. And they will be the thing that transmits the data super fast. You might even have to have one of these in your house or in your home office to get this speed. Because millimeter waves are scattered by things like brick and concrete, by potentially rain and moisture in the air. So it can get really messy when you start to build these fast networks. But once it's built, I mean, we're talking being able to drive a car remotely. If you're on a 5G network and the car is on a 5G network, you could drive it remotely and react in real time to stuff that's happening around you. You could do surgery remotely if you're both in 5G networks. I mean, these things are essentially, for all intents and purposes, the perfect wireless network. And that's not just me saying that. That's according to the International Journal of Computer Science and Management Studies. They said, quote, 5G is assumed as the perfection level of wireless communication in mobile technology. So it's going to be a pretty big deal. We asked Trace about 5G in the rest of the world, too. And he said that since the International Telecommunications Union is part of the United Nations, we're going to see similar rollouts worldwide, although the timing could vary. Again, that was Trace Dominguez, science communicator and host of the YouTube channel Uno Dose of Trace. He gets much deeper into the subject in his video about this, which we'll link to in the show notes. Thanks for your question. If you have a question, send it in to podcast at curiosity.com. Before we wrap up, we want to give a special shout out to Dr. Mary Yancey and Muhammad Shafaz, who are executive producers for today's episode, thanks to their generous support on Patreon. Thank you so much. If you're listening and you want to support Curiosity Daily, then visit patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.